Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Jordan Gross, the legendary Panthers offensive lineman, now with the Panthers radio network, is dropping in here in just a second. Quick reminder, one year ago, roughly, the Panthers were absolutely embarrassed on national TV in one of those primetime Thursday games by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, a year ago after that, or starting with that maybe, the season unraveled entirely. Now, Cam Newton's injury had a lot to do with that, but there's some psychology at play as well. The Panthers lost to the Niners, which is nothing to be embarrassed about in itself. They're still undefeated, San Francisco. But it was a 51-13 annihilation that had some people thinking back to the Steelers game of a year ago. Jordan Gross does join us now. He saw that ugly game out in the Bay Area. Before we dive into the Panthers issues, Jordan, and, you know, the whole Kyle Allen, Cam Newton stuff, give us a snapshot of your view of the San Francisco 49ers, because whereas the undefeated New England Patriots are getting all sorts of credit, and deservedly so, uh, people seem to be kind of waiting for the 49ers to crash back to earth, and yet there they are at 7-0. and Well, yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course, I always enjoy it. Uh, the Niners were a lot better than I anticipated. I think that the, the game, their game so far, the previous week, for example, was the Mud Bowl, right? So it's hard to tell who's good in a situation like yeah. that. You win 9-0, you get the win, yeah, but that was such a sloppy game against the Redskins. And then you could look at their record, the teams they faced, the record of those teams prior to Sunday against Carolina, and they weren't necessarily the greatest teams in the NFL. So there were still some doubts. And, uh, my gosh, in person, that offense was so crisp, so sharp, so many playmakers. You got George Kittle. And the addition of Daniel Sanders was, was genius, it looked to be, on the part of the Niners because – he caught the first touchdown pass. He provided down the field spark. Didn't have an incredible stats game, but you can see by watching how he's going to fit in. And and then their defense, it, it's outstanding. That defensive line has just got talent all around it. They're, and they play with incredible energy and, and, and effort. Nick Bosa had some tremendous plays, and those were effort plays. His first sack, he got up off the ground and got the sack. His interception, he got up off the ground and picked off Kyle Allen on a little screen pass to the flat so definitely a good team they got to play the uh the cardinals on thursday i think they could be eight no jordan gross is joining us on the david glenn show he's a member of the panthers hall of honor of course officially went in not long ago one more thing on the niners since you played offensive tackle and were that all pro and were that three-time pro bowler Peter King of NBC Sports described Nick Bosa, who you just mentioned, as, quote, the most impactful edge rusher to enter the National Football League since a guy named Julius Peppers in 2002. Uh, so, you know, Pep was picked by the Panthers out of Carolina way back in 02. There you are, uh, the Panthers high pick out of Utah the next year, I believe, right? Uh, what do you think of that comparison, given that I imagine Pep gave you some headaches? Uh, and I don't know at this stage what you'd think of trying to block Nick Boza, uh, but uh, that would have gone better back in the day than it would go today. <laughs> But yeah, if I stood out there today, it would have been even uglier. So I'm glad <laughs> I didn't have to do that. Uh, you know, I didn't I, – I, as you said, I'll never go against Nick Bosa. Uh, he looks very talented to me. Obviously, he's got it in his family, uh, the ability to rush the passer. I'll say this about Pep, though. He, so, he, as you said, I came in in his second year, and we had seven years together. I battled him every single training camp. And the thing about Julius Peppers, and the reason I think he played so long, is he's just – 
such a massive human. Yeah. I mean, he's he's bigger than me. I weighed more than him, but he's two inches taller than me. I mean, he got up to close to 300 pounds a couple yeah. times. You know, he's a 285-pound, six-pack ab, big muscles, fast. Wingspan. Player. <laughs> I mean, and, and so I would have to give the edge to Pep over Bosa yeah. as a rookie because of that size difference. You know, Nick Bosa is not a small guy by any means, but tackles are bigger than him, right? So there's still one advantage on the list. And I always thought it was funny with Pep because I, I jokingly say, all right, height. Okay, he has the advantage. Speed, he has the advantage. Weight, all right, I barely have the advantage, but let's just be honest, it's nachos and chicken wings. It's not muscles. Okay, strength, <laughs> he, he has the advantage. You know, everything was in his favor, and then he just was a smart player to compete really well. So I, I would not be surprised if Nick Bosa got defensive rookie of the year, and you can compare everything. Julius Peppers was a special, special athlete. Jordan Gross is joining us on the David Glenn Show. I mentioned a year ago, Panthers embarrassed on national TV by the Steelers, 52-21. to 21. Do you think any comparison goes out the window simply because Cam was hurt and the season unraveled that because of those reasons? Or is there like a, a psychological gut check or something that the Panthers will need this year, given, again, not only the loss, but the details of 51-13 to 13 yesterday? Yeah, that's a tough loss. The 13 points by the offense did not surprise me at all. I, I thought the game was going to be 17 to 13, yeah. you know, 20 to 13 or 13 to 10, something like that. I was shocked that our defense had so much trouble, looked like the slower unit on the field. That hasn't happened this year, and they just generally looked caught off guard. And I don't, and I know that's not from a lack of preparation, but the the complexity of the backfield of the Niners and the, the outstanding job Garoppolo did on all the fakes, faking after a handoff, faking the throw to the flat. I mean, there were so many things to catch your eye that it really gave our defense fits. And now other teams will start running some of that. No, no other teams that we face this year will be as good as that, but uh, it, it did surprise me. And then you look at last year and it, it's just funny the how the calendar says that one year ago today, you know, maybe you would just want the team to realize, what happened last year? How did we? How did I personally prepare? What did I do after that loss to try to keep a different story from from unfolding after this tough loss? And I think I think they will. I think this team's better than the team last year. I think now Cam's coming back healthy. I, I still think Kyle Allen's a good quarterback, and and they're fortunate to have two good quarterbacks on there. So definitely some decisions to make, and and Ron Rivera's leadership is going to be important to get the team to come back and win at home against the Titans next Sunday. Coach, will meet with the media a little bit less than 60 minutes from now. What is your educated guess about, you know, even how you handle practice? If both Cam says he's okay and the doctors slash trainers do give the green light, what do you think is going to happen as a former MVP says he's available uh, and yet Kyle Allen has done far more good things than bad? I think I think the biggest mistake to make would be putting Cam out there before he's back to 100%. Because we've seen for the last few years Cam struggle as a banged-up quarterback, right? And he's still been able to win some games, but he's nothing like he is at 100%. And when we've seen him in years past at that point. So even if Cam's at 90%, and yes, he had a tough loss on the road, I still think you stick with Kyle Allen until you don't make that decision until Cam 
and the doctors all say he is 100% healthy head to toe because you've invested so much money and time into Cam that you're not doing anybody any favors by getting him back with 10% recovery left to happen. Because when you're, when you're playing with an injury, even if it's pretty close, if even it's 90%, that's still an injured body part, in, injured soft tissue, injured whatever. And it's not as strong, can't keep up the can't, – can't handle the abuse that you're asking it to do, the recovery and all of that. So uh, I spoke with Cam out there in San Francisco, and he seemed like he's actually learned a lot from this process, you know, from his first two games this year, from watching from the sidelines and all that. And, and I didn't even ask him if he's 100% because – you know, it's not really my business, but he'll, when he's ready, that's when you make the decision. And I don't know if it's this week. I would anticipate it's not. Jordan Gross with us on the David Glenn Show. Since you last joined us, you did officially gain entrance into that Hall of Honor. So I have a two part question for you. Like, if you won the Masters, you would get a green jacket. And usually you don't wear that out a lot, right? Like, you get a blue jacket for being in the Hall of Honor. Is there, does that ever come out? Or how does that work? And then part two is, Tell us what went into the emotions of it all. Man, when you talked about your 10-year-old daughter figuring out water skiing and that was an analogy for you just sort of, you know, persisting through adversity and figuring stuff out and it's about the people. Man, you had people crying right along with you tearing up. What what all went into that? <laughs> well, the jacket, you know, it's coming up on Halloween, so that might be able to work it into a wardrobe somewhere. And that's, I mean, that, that whole event, everything, the Panthers, uh, Mr. Tepper, they spared no expense, and they made the four of us and our families feel like superstars. Cool. And that's as much as all the emotions you saw, just extreme gratitude. You know, not you, I think about all the guys I played with and people that were on the team before me and since, and you, you know, you're scratching your head going, man, how did I make this list of four? And I know there's others that will be coming after us. But just gratitude for your family. Uh, being a pro athlete is an incredible job, and I am so lucky that I got to do it. But it does take sacrifice from the people around you, yeah. you know, and you sit up there and you get to look at them and tell them thank you. And it just hits you like a ton of bricks because you realize how much time has gone by in your life as well. You know, you see all those highlights of like the O2 team, and it seems like it was yesterday, but you're watching the film and you can tell it's not in high definition. You know, you're going, gosh, there's been so much time in my life that's passed by. Um, and and it was right, you know, that analogy I said about water skiing and when you're the one in the water, they're sitting there cheering you on, but when you're in the water looking back at the boat, you see all the people supporting you, and that's really the view I had all that whole weekend. So it was emotional and, and thankful, and I just am grateful for the team giving me and my family that opportunity. And I'm so glad you took that away from that experience. Seeing Jake DeLome speak uh, not on the field as much, you guys only got about 60 seconds, and, of course, uh, Smitty took a little bit longer than his and, and entertained along the way. But Jake barely made it 30 seconds in, and you could see how meaningful it was to him in a lot of the ways that you just described. So thanks for sharing so much of your story with us. Thanks for uh, giving us some insight into the, the Panthers' rough weekend. Uh, we'll be knocking on your door again. Appreciate you visiting the David Glenn Show. Well, I, I thank you guys for being patient with me when I don't respond to your request if I'm on the farm and I'm up to my elbows and plant something. <laughs> sometimes I ignore it. So thank you for not getting mad at me. Ah, no, no problem. It's all good. Jordan Gross, he is in the Hall of Honor. He is part of the Panthers radio network and a legend always here on the David Glenn Show. Paul Riley's going to drop by later. We're inviting more of your phone calls on the other side. A lot of NFL best of the weekend. And one quick reminder there is that the trade deadline in pro football is tomorrow. 
and it's been active at the deadline in that sport way more than in, I don't know, a couple decades it felt like of just being an NFL fan. So we'll see which big names will be on the move, some of them already on the move. But contenders, as you see in other sports, hockey and baseball especially, you know, trying to upgrade. If they think they have a chance of reaching for the golden ring and they're only missing a piece or two, they might be willing to give away draft choices or even mortgage the future to an extent to try to win now. Nick Bosa and the Niners, Bill Belichick and the Patriots, Deshaun Watson and the Texans, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, the Eagles, the Colts, the Saints and Drew Brees, remember, back from injury. They crushed Arizona to get to 7-1. and one. Gardner Minshew, formerly of ECU, had another big game for Jacksonville. Those were among the best of the weekend. The Panthers, of course, were among the worst of the weekend, and they had plenty of company. The Golden State Warriors of the NBA were among the worst of the weekend. Weekend. Oklahoma fell from the ranks of the unbeaten. Notre Dame fell from the college football playoff picture entirely, smacked 45-14 to at Michigan. Duke, UVA, and Pitt had disappointing college football losses. Carolina and Louisville joined national teams like LSU and Ohio State with big victories. You can chime in with the best or worst of what you saw this weekend. The Houston Astros, of course, flew into D.C. down two games to zero, flew out out up three games to two after outscoring the Nationals 19 to three over those three World Series games in the nation's capital. The president got booed. The Nationals need to bounce back. Max Scherzer is dealing with neck spasms. Patrick Corbin was hammered as the Nationals starter in game four. Meanwhile, the Astros are just coming up roses from Garrett Cole last night to Alex Bregman in his grand slam in game four to guys like George Springer and Jose Altuve almost every night, it seems like. A lot to celebrate in baseball, college, and pro football. Heather O'Reilly and the North Carolina Courage. The Carolina Hurricanes got another win this weekend. Dwight Howard turned back the hands of time and made an impact as a teammate with LeBron James and Anthony Davis of the L.A. Lakers. Tiger Woods got another PGA Tour win, tying Sam Snead on the all-time wins list. They both have 82 at the PGA level. You can jump in with your best or worst of the weekend on the other side. Paul Riley, NWSL champion, drops by live in a little bit more than 60 minutes. You can be next with your question or comment. You can be next with your best or worst of the weekend. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can do that on the David Glenn Show. Dean in Wilmington, you're up on the David Glenn Show. The NCAA book on violations is so sick Superman has trouble carrying. This is true. However, it's not buried into the small print in the back that you're not allowed to drive luxury cars that aren't yours. Okay? <laughs> Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. That is hit into left center field. Back at the wall. It is gone. You're done. And he goes deep. That is hammered into left. It is gone. A pair of two-run homers tonight for the Astros. That is clutched into left. Goodbye. The third two-run shot of the night by the Houston Astros. And it's now 7-1 to one here in the night. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Best and Worst of the Weekend. Appreciate Jordan Gross of the Panthers for dropping by. Your NFL team fell to four and three, crushed by the Niners in San Francisco. Kyle Allen was horrendous 
a set of numbers that I promised earlier, and then your calls. Paul, Steve, Kevin, Bill, and others are chiming in from all corners of North Carolina. I also got a question about presidents and baseball first pitches. To quickly answer that, the current president of the United States is the first since President Theodore Roosevelt in the early 1900s, more than 100 years ago, who has not thrown out a baseball first pitch. In many contexts, it has been the World Series. If you saw last night, besides the guy who didn't spill his beers so he took a home run ball off his chest, besides the social media superstars who bared their breasts, they say, behind home plate to raise awareness in the battle against breast cancer, besides the other oddities that surrounded the Astros' three straight wins, over the Nationals, there was some presidential trivia. Quick baseball note, since I last saw you on Thursday, and we all we were thinking of at that point, David Jackson in for me on Friday because of the Mike Walsh Memorial Golf Tournament, Houston had lost twice at home. Historical fact, no team has ever come back after dropping the first three games of a World Series. We are aware of the Red Sox over Yankees and some other famous down 0-3 winning seven-game series. It had never, has never happened in the history of the World Series. World Series dates to the 1800s, remember. So if the Astros had lost game three, that's the historical context. Now, they won all three. A lot of stars circled earlier for your best of the weekend. But the presidential baseball trivia, I didn't even know this is true. Theodore Roosevelt is the most recent example of a sitting president who did not throw out a first pitch. Why didn't he? Well, it wasn't a tradition yet. So apparently it was William Howard Taft in 1910 who started the tradition of presidents throwing out first pitches. As typically happens when the current president mixes with the sports world, the headlines go in every direction. He gave reasons for why he didn't want to throw a first pitch, in Washington with the nation's capital hosting the World Series for the first time in almost a century. And the Washington Nationals folks had to put out a statement, uh, we never invited him to throw out the first pitch. So again, you have a polarizing divisive series of headlines that tends to be the theme in this particular case. So William Howard Taft gets this tradition started on, it was opening day in 1910. That did happen in our nation's capital of Washington, D.C. Presidents have thrown out the ceremonial first pitch many times since, usually on opening day, sometimes at the All-Star Game, sometimes at the World Series. But for more than 100 years, everybody has done so as a sitting president until the current president. Did you know, Darren, you could squeeze this, when does your USA Baseball podcast drop next <laughs> there's a new episode that uh drops tomorrow as a matter of fact so it's funny you used that as an example earlier well i try uh this may not serve your purposes for usa baseball but did you know the presidential pitch was usually thrown from a seat near the field where he was going to enjoy the game to a catcher or other player standing near the stands Oh, and, so it wasn't even from the mound. Correct. And that was for, apparently, most of the 20th century. Huh. That was the tradition. So you still had the presidential first pitch, but they weren't gallivanting out to the mound for all that. I don't know if that was for security reasons, but, you know, George W. Bush, after 9-11, remember, he said he was nervous in part because he had to wear such a heavy flak jacket, like just in case some lunatic was out there ready to take 
a shot at him. The pitch was usually thrown to the catcher of the home team. The tradition changed a bit when Ronald Reagan, wearing a Cubs jacket, stepped onto the pitcher's mound at Wrigley Field back in 1988. So that starts what we've done to this day. I don't know how many ceremonial first pitches you've gotten to throw over the years, but I'm, I'm up into the double digits at this point. It's a lot of fun. Did it for the Burlington Royals during their playoff run this, this uh, earlier this year. Bill Clinton was the first president to throw f- all the way from the mound. So Ronald Reagan got out there on the field. Clinton got all the way from the mound to home plate. And how about this? Intern Will, I think you can vouch for this Continental Tire Toss. Sometimes people get bored when I just keep hammering them through. So I'm a lefty and batting about 90%, maybe not as much Saturday, but again, my fraternity brothers were visiting. I was a little (laughs) bit off my game for reasons we can't get into right now. Every once in a while, I'll throw it righty. And I dazzled the heckler, remember? Yeah. I zipped it through with my right hand, my offhand. Did not know this. Harry S. Truman and Gerald Ford not only continued the presidential first pitch tradition, to show off, they did one lefty and one righty. (laughs) Can you imagine that? I don't know what years that was, but there's an interesting summary I saw in the New York Times with all of those things. Not until this weekend was there a tradition of yelling, lock him up. That actually happened at the Nationals' home game along with a loud smattering of boos when the current president was shown on the big board. Take that as a best or worst of the weekend, depending on your perspective, but that was unprecedented in World Series presidential history, as is that first pitch trivia that I shared there. Paul is in Durham, and next on the David Glenn Show, go right ahead. Hey, Dave, it's Paul Enslin. How you doing, buddy? An old friend of mine from the sports media world. I'm doing great, Paul. Good to hear your voice, man. How are uh, you? I'm fantastic. You were talking about the uh, Tar Heels and perhaps their performance for best of the weekend and the atmosphere of the crowd and how crazy it is in Canada these days, which is something. I remember when you and I were on the field together, there was nothing like that going on. True. And uh, Max, I was at Max press conference today, and he was actually talking about that, gave his give a uh, shout-out to the fans and how well they've been uh, appreciating the Tario football product of late. And uh, part of that is due to uh, their close game. And an interesting True. stat that came out of that conference today, you may want to look this up and follow it up, was that seven of their games have come down to the final drive and that that's been the closest, longest stretch of final drive games by a team since the uh, poll came out in, I think you said, 1936. Wow. So, uh, so, in other words, Carolina's seven out of eight games have come down to the final drive, and that has never happened for another college football team in the poll era? I, that's exactly wow. the understanding that I got from that um, statement. Wow. Um, and uh, it, it would be hard to... Uh, Duplicate that. Well, think and, uh, think about it. The, the Nationals are in the World Series this weekend. Did y'all see a lot of Washington fans headed to the sta- uh, the parking lots in the seventh inning? This is in a city that hasn't had a World Series since the 1930s, and a team that you know has never even been to a World Series, at least as the Washington Nationals, and they're leaving early for a World Series game. 
Yeah, Carolina fans, if they were sort of thinking along those lines, what was the only non-final drive play? That was the road game at Georgia Tech, right? So every home game has come down to the wire. And at 4-4, four and four, I mean, who knows? The Tar Heels could lose a few more or they could play in the ACC title game. That's just the nature of their season as reflected by that. That's a great factoid. You'd think Paul was a sports writer, right? Good work, man. The uh, chipping at, at the end of the game and the interaction between the teams. Yeah. Some of that may have been <laughs> due to placement of the victory bell. Yeah, and what happened there? Did Mac discuss Jordan Tucker walking over there and David Cutcliffe? You know, there was a lot of shouting, man. I saw my friend Art Chase of Duke, who's uh, Coach K's or Coach Cut's right-hand man, and Art is a very calm, cool, collected, mild-mannered, good guy, and he was flaming hot about something, and Coach Cut was veins bulging towards Jordan Tucker. It wasn't the prettiest ending in the victory bell rivalry. Was Mac, uh, did he elaborate on any of that? Nothing, nothing specific about any particular individuals or incidents. He said he was on the field, you know, being interviewed himself. But he, uh, there certainly was a lot of interaction between the two teams' yeah. players. Yeah. And after an emotional game like that, there's going to be some some words, perhaps, and of course, he's used to Texas, Oklahoma, where they would actually get into full-out fisticuffs on the field sometimes. Right. Um, but the, uh, he commented that the uh, victory bell placement may have caused some of the players from both teams to get too close to each other. Yeah, because Duke was leaving through the same exit that was near the victory bell? Yeah, he, yeah. the victory bell, I believe, was that over there right of course it's going to be on their side because they hold the victory bell would it have been wiser to put it at the corner that is the opposite of their exit tunnel probably yes um i'm trying to think of how that's been in other years i was there on the field at wallace wade last year darren do you remember i remember actually didn't we video the duke players coming over to ring the bell yeah. a year ago at this time yeah. and we've done that at other at other duke unc matchups whoever it, the winner i is. can't remember like would that have been where the tar heel players walk out i i don't know like you're setting your this is like my parental moment right i always tell my <laughs> kids you're either setting yourself up for trouble you are either inviting disaster or you are paying attention to details to leave the victory bell near where the devils walk out rather than the other corner, where if they win, they just grab it again, right? But if they don't win, they're on the they're going into the tunnel opposite. Like, do we have to call out, you know, the operations guy at Keenan Stadium <laughs> or, or the Duke team manager? I don't know. I don't want to create a, a scapegoat here. Uh, it could have been worse. Let's just say that the confrontation was not exemplary of the best of the Duke-Carolina rivalry, but it could have been a lot worse. I I've covered this league. Paul, you're probably with me on the field. Remember when state football assistant coaches physically got into a fight? There was like a body slam. What were we, like in the late 80s or early 90s? Man, I'm getting old. I can't remember all this stuff. Do you remember that? Carolina? Absolutely. Yeah, were you there that day? I, I was like, um, oh my, I was a young dude, and I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah, and somebody told, uh, somebody came into the locker room and told Coach Brown, one of your coaches is in a fight, and he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and that was, you're talking about Mac Brown part one way back when, right? Yes. Sir. Yeah, I remember that. That was crazy. 
That was crazy. Maybe it's when Paul Enslin and DG show up, you know, just stuff starts happening. I don't know. Good to hear your voice, man. Thanks for the update. Steve is in Apex and has a different sport entirely on his mind. I imagine you watched the Panthers' ugly loss to the Niners, but we know Steve has evolved into a caniac of distinction. If he watched it all, he was all smiles. As Peter Morazic shut out the Chicago Blackhawks four to nothing, the young Russian sniper Andrei Svechnikov had two goals for the Canes. What's going on, Steve? Welcome to the show. Absolutely pinpoint accurately, <laughs> except for one thing, Dave. I, I love the Canes. Like I said, I'm Morazic. I'm gonna get him a jersey with his. Nice. But believe it. Yes, I am. Go get me a hockey jersey with Morazic. I, I like the guy. I love the guy. Cool. In my face. But listen, Dave. With this bail stuff, this this I'm so irritated with. I don't know if I'm irritated more with the Panthers defense or with Duke doing a jump shot with four downs to go. We never should have released the bail. I mean, what is that? What was he doing? He just threw the all dark blue jersey. I mean, it was ridiculous. Oh, the jump pass by Deion Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even nobody in the pitching for him to jump pass and throw the ball too. to his I'm credit saying. he was getting crushed he kind of jumped up like the first part of the pop pass is the thrower jumping up as he's jumping up a Carolina defender is chopping at his knees you know a legal tackle and Chaz Surratt you know I thought he was just going to bat the ball down to his eternal credit maybe it's because he has an offensive background I, I really think nine times out of ten that ball falls incomplete and Chaz Surratt's hand-eye coordination and athleticism made it an interception instead. I mean, it was either Duke was going to win with a touchdown or push it to overtime with a, with a chip shot field goal. The only – it was a one-in-a-hundred shot that the Heels would come up with a turnover, and sure enough, they did. So Coach Cut, I mean, you know the deal. He's either going to be looked at as the genius who came up with the pop pass play at the exact right time if it was a touchdown, or he's going to be the wrong kind of goat – for unnecessarily risking the ball in the air. And, of course, it turned into the Murphy's Law by Duke standards interception by Chaz Surratt. Man, your head must have been spinning, Steve, with the Duke-Carolina ending, the Panthers' disaster, and the Hurricanes' win. I mean, my fraternity brothers were visiting all weekend. That's why my head hurts a little bit today. You had your, you had your own Steve and Apex craziness going on. Yes, I did, I David. I, I was just so frustrated with it. it was, everybody was bringing up Cam Newton. I don't heard nothing about offense. I know Allen didn't do that great, but the bottom line was the defense was shredded like toss salad. So it was never no reason. To, I couldn't even focus on the offense because the defense was so bad. Well put, man. Shredded like shredded like sat the tossed salad. Very well done. That's the broadcaster coming out in Stephen Apex. He is one of our favorites here at the David Glenn Show. More of your calls on the other side. Kyle Allen was horrendous. Seven sacks taken, three interceptions thrown. Nick Bosa was insanely good for the San Francisco 49ers, who are now 7-0 and after their 51-13 drubbing of the Panthers. If you live the life of a typical NFL fan, you celebrate that the weekend starts on Thursday and ends on Monday night, modern-day NFL. Of course, they usually leave Friday for high school football and sometimes college. Uh, disappointing news to share, no Monday night football game of note this evening. It will be the 0-6 Dolphins visiting the 2-4 Steelers. So technically, the Monday night football tradition continues, but in reality, 
Week 9 is in the books. 1-800-849-2761. More on your TV picks later. Paul Riley of the NWSL champion North Carolina Courage is going to drop by. His all-star team, U.S. women's national team stars and otherwise, won the second of those back-to-back -back titles yesterday afternoon. I was there at Salem Stadium in Cary. He's a heck of a coach. They have a heck of a team. That was a best of the weekend for a record-setting crowd who loves soccer in our backyard. Tiger Woods, Dwight Howard and the Lakers, Peter Morazic and the Canes, the North Carolina Courage, the Houston Astros. And we haven't even talked about the new picture in college football. There are clear-cut frontrunners for the college football playoff. Oklahoma lost for the first time. Notre Dame lost for the second time. And remember, no two-loss te two team has ever made the college football playoff, and it's unlikely to happen this year or anytime soon. Duke, UVA, and Pitt had setbacks. UNC and Louisville and App State, among others we know well, took big steps forward. LSU and Ohio State led the national victories, and there are still nine undefeated teams overall. More from the college football weekend that was bill wants in on the nfl kevin wants in on college football you can be next 1-800-849-2761 is how you can join us on the david glenn show mike krzyzewski joining us we asked folks you work with at duke if you've changed or mellowed over the years well you know mellow is having a glass of wine and looking over you know the sunset you know <laughs> uh, i don't see how you can be mellow and coach a game that can't happen. If it does, then you shouldn't be coaching. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We'll catch up with another championship coach, Paul Riley of the North Carolina Courage, back-to-back -back NWSL champions, the team right here in our backyard. The Panthers went down in flames in San Francisco. The numbers surrounding Kyle Allen versus Cam Newton as that conversation continues. Bill is in High Point. Peter is in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. Campbell is having a heck of a football season. Kevin is in Greensboro. Nationally, LSU and Ohio State had the big wins. Tigers over the Auburn Tigers. 23 to 20 Buckeyes over the number 13 Wisconsin Badgers and they continue to just annihilate people 38 to 7 was the final score there keep in mind as we come back to your calls 1-800-849-2761 those in the driver's seat for the college football playoff as we speak are the five best undefeated teams from the Power Five leagues. That would mean 8-0 Clemson of the ACC, 8-0 Ohio State from the Big Ten, two SEC teams, Alabama and LSU. And then, since Oklahoma lost this weekend for the first time, Penn State, 8-0 in Big Ten country, qualifies as well. Keep in mind, for anybody worried, Alabama and LSU play each other in the regular season. That's less than two weeks away. Penn State and Ohio State play each other in the regular season. That's not far from now. If you're wondering about Minnesota, they still have some heavyweights left on their Big Ten schedule. And similarly, Baylor, which hasn't lost yet, is a team that has to deal with the Oklahoma Sooners, among others. So the ranks of the unbeaten will not might, will continue to dwindle. Did you have Kansas State beating Oklahoma this weekend? Probably not. Did you have Michigan annihilating Notre Dame and knocking the Irish down from one of the better one-loss resumes to out of the college football playoff picture entirely? Probably not. Plenty of 
zero lost teams still in contention. And remember, you're not dead yet if you're 7-1 Oklahoma, 7-1 Oregon, which had a good victory this weekend, beating uh, Washington State in a high-scoring nail-biter. 6-1 Georgia is not dead yet. And maybe even others beyond them in the one-loss ranks. Long way to go. No need to panic because four of the key unbeatens still have to play each other, and that's before we even get to the conference championship games. Bill is in high point and has quarterbacks on his mind. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. DG, thank you. I'm most appreciative of you taking my call. Thanks. I meant best and worst of the weekend. I have one best and two worst. Okay. And if I can just tell you real quickly. Best of the weekend was the Panthers' loss because Kyle Allen finally will get that monkey off his back. He hasn't had a loss in his starts and all, and I think that he that's going to be a learning uh, you know, game for him. And as far as worst of the weekend, first of one is, I'm sorry I wasn't sitting behind home plate the other night at the baseball game. <laughs> <laughs> you might have had a better view from the TV set as... And, 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 had, a, and had a better result in the game and would have cared less. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I watched it three times. I, I It took me a while. Did you all know there were three women who were flashing the national TV audience? And sure enough, there was a dude standing in the first row. Did you, it wasn't so that me. You, you could, it was not Bill in High Point. Can, has the phrase down in front ever mattered more than when in the World Series three women are trying to, you know, wink, wink, raise awareness in the fight against breast cancer? The guy in the middle obscured the woman in the middle. We can't have that. We're either going to go all six, you know, what I'm saying, all six celebration, or uh, it was basically they were – there was their friend in the middle was blocked out entirely. So, Bill, if you if you DVR'd that game, you can still catch it barely at the top of the screen for those okay. keeping score at home. All right, and one last thing, if I may, the, on, on my other best of the weekend, I mean, I'm sorry, my worst of the weekend, I can't understand why a quarterback that goes four and one all of a sudden they decide it's time. Hey, we may need a change. And, and and if you want to comment on that, yeah. David, I'd appreciate you know, it very much. It'll be interesting. I want to, and I'm glad you asked about that because I want to make clear. Sometimes when we tweet, not all context is behind the tweets. So when Jordan Gross on our show today said to him, it doesn't feel like Cam is really even in the mix to be starting this week for the Panthers. Jordan made clear on our airwaves, and maybe we'll just have to post another tweet, Darren, to sort of make this clear. Jordan was really spe specific about not claiming inside information. He chatted with Cam. Cam said he's learned a lot through this process. Cam hopes to come back as soon as his body will let him. Jordan was not, like, breaking news with Cam's probably not going to start this week. So we can make that clear. I think it is an interesting call about what Ron Rivera does when Cam Newton is, is healthy. I agree with Jordan Gross here. You got to get as close to the football version of 100% healthy as possible. Otherwise, why bother? Cam came back too early last time, and it bit him. Cam, Cam came back or tried to lie about his injury a year ago, and it bit him and the franchise spiraled down the toilet. 
he has a hard time, like a lot of competitors, has a hard time being fully transparent about what's going on in his body. So now you need Cam to say yes, but also trainers and doctors to say yes. And then after that, you have the Ron Rivera, Norv Turner decision. The numbers that I dug out, not Again, Cam's critics will remind us he's 0-8 in his last eight starts. Kyle Allen, even with this loss to San Francisco, is 5-1 as the starting and quarterback for the Panthers. So, of course, that's advantage Kyle Allen. 0-8 is as bad as you can get. Cam was not himself in either of those two games earlier this year or that losing streak last year. So I went all the way back to Cam's last healthy games and just put together his five numbers, five games worth of numbers, and put it next to Kyle Allen's current five games worth of numbers healthy cam and healthy kyle allen completion percentage cams was actually better 67 percent to 62 percent cam under north turner last year was making great strides as an accurate thrower under the new coach touchdown passes cam has more 11 in his five games most recent five while healthy kyle allen seven turnovers cam has fewer kyle allen has seven INTs plus fumbles. Cam only four turnovers in his five most recent healthy games. More yards, Cam. Fewer sacks taken, Cam. All of these are advantage Cam. Quarterback rating, Kyle Allen in his 5-1 and one NFL start, 90.6. Cam in his last five healthy games, 107.7. All six of those, I would call them important quarterback indicators, Advantage Cam, advantage Cam, advantage Cam, advantage Cam, advantage Cam, advantage Cam. So 0-8, I see it. That's the sledgehammer number, and it favors Kyle Allen, 5-1 as a starter. Dive into the details of the last healthy version of Cam Newton, and the picture is actually turned upside down. The real question is, what do you think you're going to get from Cam? Is he really healthy or not? When he's healthy, those numbers are still really good. And we're back after this. The David Glenn Show, where the great guests have so much fun, they never want to leave. I'll come give you a pep talk before your next show if you need me to. We could use that from you, Webb Simpson, anytime. Hey, I'll be your intern after this. Is everything open, man? We'll take Joe Harris as an intern every day <laughs> and twice on Sunday. Listen weekdays to The David Glenn Show. Clemson football coach Dabo Sweeney once made an analogy on our show involving basketball goat Michael Jordan. That story with more of your best and worst of the weekend phone calls next on the David Glenn Show. Jerome Robinson, are you a hugger or a handshake guy? H how does it work if Adam Silver is waiting for you? I really don't know. I, I hope it's not awkward. <laughs> um, you know, I hope it's not like a hand-to-hug-to-hand kind of thing, but I don't know. I might just mess around and just hug him. No hands. I think he's so. a hugger. You're listening to the David Glenn Show.